So I want to talk a little bit about um, the nature of a complete system uh, within the internal arts. Within arts such as Qigong, Neigong, or sometimes alchemical systems, there are a few components that you would expect to see in a complete system. So why this is important or helpful to know is so that you can identify whether a system is sort of uh, being kept as it's been passed down from uh, generation to generation through a lineage, whether it's been kept in its complete form or whether it's been adjusted. But the caveat to that is I should add that I don't necessarily think that everybody needs what I'm calling a complete system, or even that we should think of complete system as meaning good and incomplete as being bad, because that's not always the case. Because basically what happens within, within a, a practice is a group of people, a head teacher, um, generations and generations within a lineage will develop a system. So obviously the system is not built all in one go. There might be a series of key principles that the founder uh, established within that particular practice, but then of course his disciples that went on to become masters themselves and his disciples under his or her disciples or whatever will gradually expand out upon that system. So that you find that uh, five or six generations down the line, although the core practices might be the same, there's been some adjustments and some evolution of the method. Now, of course, the error will arise if that evolution took place or those adjustments were made to the system by somebody who wasn't qualified. So generally, there was a, a long period of apprenticeship type study um, under the lineage holder. And then only once that person had really integrated and mastered that system were they allowed to make the any adjustments of their own. So then you'll start to see little new exercises come in or adjustments to the way something is explained or, or whatever, but still we would call that a complete system. So <clears throat> a complete system essentially within most spiritual traditions was designed to take a person through a particular process that usually led to some kind of spiritual evolution, whether it be awakening, um, or freedom from the samsaric cycle or whatever, it depended what the tradition was after. So if you look at something like the Taoist system, so most, most Qigong comes from there, or is related to that tradition, not all, but most, we're really looking at a, a system that evolves the body, then converts the energetics within the system, mastery of qi, and then after that onto spirit and consciousness work. So we have this step-by-step this -step process that it ties to take a practitioner through. So this is what I call a complete system. But an incomplete system won't necessarily have all of those same qualities, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. Because, for example, medical Qigong is not a complete system, but that doesn't make it bad, it doesn't make it wrong, because it's, it's incomplete for the simple reason that medical Qigong focused on one particular thing, which was medicine. So you can think of that system as almost like it's specialized in something. So medical Qigong started to push out some of the components that weren't required, some of the more complex alchemical work um, that would have been kept behind closed doors in temples, and it took out some of the religious teachings and, and so on and so on, and then moved purely into medicine. And then you get other traditions, for example, that might specialize, just off the top of my head, some of the Neigong ones I can think of that specialize very much in the development of power I don't mean power like dominance, but I mean they, they focus very much on the building of so much energy within the system that it kind of uh, blasted a person through the kind of cultivation process. So as an example, I mean those systems um, I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I can see why a lot of people are, because they were kind of a no-nonsense, let's just sort of throw safety to the wind 
and push ourselves through that process. So that, that's just another example of how something can be incomplete. It can just kind of focus on, on one thing. Then you might have a system that is really designed maybe a little bit more for the general public. So that one can become what I call incomplete because maybe they want to strip out some of the things that are a bit more complicated that required you know, countless hours, 10,000 hours studying one thing and really just wanted to make it more approachable to people. So a lot of the kind of common Qigong traditions and Qigong sets that you see these days are from that place. And, and I, think that's, um, I think that's a good evolution. Personally, I think that's a healthy thing. If, if something could be adjusted so that more people can approach it and fit it in with their lives, then that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. So these are you know, stripped down or specialized or, or whatever methods that a lot of people are practicing, but they will all have branched off at some stage from a complete system, you know, one that, that contains certain components that I'll explore in a second. So then those would be the positive reasons for an incomplete system, but then of course there's negative reasons as well. And one of those negative reasons might be that somebody changed something too quick or somebody wasn't taught the complete thing before they taught themselves um, or rather taught independently themselves, I should say, because it's quite normal when you're apprenticed to a lineage holder to start teaching underneath them, you know, to assist them. But you shouldn't teach independently until you're familiar with the whole thing. But sometimes that happened too early and it can happen for various reasons like you know, the ego of the student. Maybe the student wanted to go do things out from under someone else. That's very, very common. Um, second reason might be that the teacher died. I mean, that can happen. Sometimes someone was studying and they might have think, right, I'm going to dedicate the next 50 years to learning this gift of humanity. And then 20 years in, the teacher dies. What do you do? If you're the person that has the most knowledge left, I suppose that is a bit of a tricky one. Do you carry on teaching an incomplete system or, or do you let it die completely and, and often what happened was I can think of I won't name them but I can think of a couple of lineages in particular where this happened and it's not necessarily the fault of the founder of that lineage because they were kind of doing the best with what they had so in some cases they'll just carry on teaching what they learned and in other cases they will try to combine things in from other lineages so you start to get mixed traditions starting to appear and sometimes that works. Long Menpai, that's an example of a mixed tradition that worked quite well. Um, they integrated various Buddhist, Taoist, and even Hindu, in my opinion. You don't see it written down, but I think there's a lot of Hindu components in there too. But they combined it to, to form a tradition that, that worked. But then there's other ones that didn't work quite so well. Some of the, try not to be controversial, but some of the Chinese systems that tried to integrate with the Southeast Asian lines didn't work quite so well. So you have this kind of, you know, swings and roundabouts of, of <laughs> the positives and negatives of combining things. So this is another branch that, that these traditions can, can kind of take. A third reason that, that sometimes lineages were, suddenly became incomplete was wars. So people kind of discount that. They look at the actions of the student and the actions of the teacher, but you also have wars. Because you've got to remember that, like in, certainly in the old days, it was only really males that studied these things. You had traditions that had nuns, of course, but they kind of kept them separate. So there's this whole kind of um, misbelief that something like Taoism was always very gender equal, gender neutral. But that really wasn't the case, not if we look historically. I mean, certainly the, the percentages of male practitioners versus female practitioners had a very male leaning. And most of the lineage holders, with the exception of very famous teachers like Sun Buo or something, were, were male. So the downside of that, amongst, amongst other things, 
is that if you have a war, who goes off to fight? Well, it's the males, and it's usually the young males that go off to fight in the military, and often they were the students. So there's, there's a tradition I know of from the south of China that the majority of their lineage holders were killed on a train that was traveling during, a, a, during the First or Second World War, I can't even remember, I'm not very good with dates, but was traveling across China and got bombed. And there we go, that's the lineage gone. And of course, over history, there's been so many wars where young males have died um, that lots of things have disappeared like that. So there's all kinds of, uh, you know, occurrences or events outside of our direct control that can really affect how a tradition has been impacted or weakened or broken or, or sometimes has had to be combined with something else. So it's, it's a convoluted and complicated thing. With regards to the last example, I mean, if nothing else, there's definitely, there's definitely one more argument for teaching uh, women back in those times, especially they should have done because of course women didn't generally go off to fight in the wars, so they would have preserved a lot more. So it's a little bit short-sighted perhaps. So, if you then uh, have a look at what I call a complete tradition, it's very easy to see, or I think it's easy to see, you know, this is just kind of my experience from spending, uh, it is, well, a large proportion of my life out in, well, most of my life, to be honest, out meeting people and meeting teachers and studying within traditions and exploring and following dead ends and, and ones that aren't, aren't so useful and then things that are very useful and kind of trying to piece together how these things work. And the, and the thing I noticed was that complete traditions that were aiming for all of the above, the spiritual cultivation as well as the energetic cultivation, they always had the same components. So very much I learned to judge uh, very quickly when I went in, does this system have these components? If it doesn't have all of these components, then I know it's not a complete system. Um, and this is what I was looking for. But if I then went into a tradition that wasn't complete, then there was another mental process for me to try to understand why. Was it incomplete because it was broken? In which case, I generally moved on, to be perfectly honest, because it wasn't what I was looking for. It wasn't what was serving my personal purposes. It might have been helping other people, but it wasn't what I wanted. Or was that tradition uh, not complete because it was specializing in something? Um, and if it was specializing in something, then actually that still might be useful for me to study. So for example, one of my main traditions that I'm in, not the one I teach actually, but one of the ones that I study heavily, is very much specialized on, on two components. But I don't see that as a weakness. So this tradition that I'm in, um, that isn't represented by Lotus Nagong, it's just a personal practice, it definitely is what I call incomplete, but it's incomplete because it's specialized in these particular areas. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. that that's okay because it, it, it's very good at these things. So this was kind of the mental process I went through. So first of all, is it complete? Secondly, if it's not complete, why? Is it for reasons that are still useful to me or is it things that maybe I want to look elsewhere? And that's very subjective, of course, very personal. Hmm. So a complete system, in my opinion, has five components. Five components that should always be there. So, <laughs> first of all, don't think complete means lots of exercises because, um, or lots of practices, I should say, because that is kind of separate from, from really from how effective a, a system is. So, some traditions have a lot of practices, like it's terrifying. You look at the list and it's like, oh my God, I've got to do all that. Like, you're looking at 300 years work or something to get through all that. They're huge. But then at the same time, other traditions are quite st 
small, quite succinct with what they do, not many practices. But that doesn't mean the ones with few practices are going to be done any quicker. Normally just means you're going to have to do a lot of them. So it's not normally to do with this. What, you, what you'll find is that, more importantly, does it contain, number one, should be uh, foundation principles. That's the first thing, and that, that sounds obvious, um, and it is, I guess, but you'd be surprised how many systems don't actually have any foundation principles. So what happens is you go in and you start studying, and certainly with a lot of the ones that I started with, there wasn't really any principles. You were just kind of straight into the practice, stand like this, do this, blah, blah, blah move your arms, move your legs, but there was no, no quality building into your body. So it doesn't matter how good your methods are, your actual techniques, if you don't have the qualities, then those things aren't going to work. So this is the difference between what we call fa and gong. Yeah? So fa would be a method, okay, a principle that you're, uh, sorry, yeah, an exercise you're doing or a practice. Gong would be the inherent quality that is trained from that practice. So any complete system should teach you a series of gongs, a series of qualities that are built into your body. A gong is not an exercise. A gong is the result of an exercise that's built into you. So right from the start, when you engage with a traditional internal system, you shouldn't really do much. You will either usually be sitting and working on your breath or working on a mental quality, or you'll be standing, a lot of standing, to build certain physical qualities into your body. So if I use the example of the main method that I teach, we have a, a, a standing posture called Wuji, which is, you know, every system pretty much has a standing posture called Wuji, don't they? But we have this key practical Wuji. Now for anybody who starts out with us, the vast majority of your standing practice when you're not sat is going to be based in Wuji for many, many, many hours. So what we're doing while we're standing in Wuji is not trying to circulate the chi or anything like this particularly. What we're trying to do is build certain qualities into the body. So these qualities are, some of them are energetic, but a lot of them are physical. So it's building the correct biomechanic structure. Uh, tissues are changing, things are connecting together, elasticity is forming, tension is disappearing. So, so the body contains certain qualities. So then what happens when those qualities are in your body, from hours and hours of standing, then when you start to do the moving exercises, whatever they are, you might be doing some Qigong sets or something, those qualities are already going to be in your body because you've done the standing. Yeah. So the idea behind this is that if you're moving, it's quite difficult to build certain qualities into the body. But if you're standing, it's quite simple. So we build them in through the standing and then we move. So I think most people will understand that if you look at traditional systems, that often the start point is static work. Okay, and at the beginning, this is why. So, Wuji is considered like a start point that they represent with a circle, and then the rest of the system kind of comes out of it. So, we build a lot of our qualities this way. Um, and you might have a seated practice that, that builds certain breathing qualities in, um, and things like this. And often within the Taoist traditions, they'll say that they're returning your body back to normal, like how it's supposed to function. But for me, I don't think that's necessarily the case because like, I don't think all of those qualities are inherently there when we're born. Um, so I think it's an odd use of the term, maybe, maybe several generations ago, I don't know, I've got no idea. I think that really, more importantly, those qualities should make your body and your breath and your mind just function as efficiently as we can um, for what we're trying to do before we start out into the rest of the system. So that's kind of ingredient one, principles. 
And you should be able to identify what are the key principles that this system is trying to show me, not just what is the exercise, what is the method, where am I, what channels am I trying to open, what are the principles this system wants. After this, you then have four components, which is static standing, static sitting, uh, qigong we could say, which to me is more sort of gentle moving, and then Daoyin, which is my, I, I use the terms a little differently from other people, but Daoyin to me meaning more um, opened and stretched and maybe more physically demanding movement. Yeah, so really I, I'm talking about a Qigong or Neigong system, yeah, not, not martial arts right now. So again, static standing, static sitting, moving exercises that are a bit more gentle and soft, and then more physical, stretched, dynamic or demanding movements. These are your four components that you, that you have. And the reason we have these four is because we're trying to adhere to, to uh, four relationships between yin and yang, between moving and static. And this is what we need to understand. So standing work first, or static standing practices, which some people will call Xiangjong, but it doesn't matter. Some people call them Dingxia, it doesn't matter. There, there's different names for them. Static standing work should be something called movement in stillness. That's the principle. So essentially what they mean by this is the outside body is static. You're not moving, right? You're standing in a position, normally um, a very exact position that takes time to learn. It should be very specific. So when the outside body is not moving, the inside of the body should be able to move. This is the principle. And almost all traditional internal systems, anything from Tai Chi, um, definitely includes it through to Neigong and through to Qigong if the traditional contains this kind of work. So these standing postures will normally there'll be a few of them within a system, sometimes lots, sometimes a few. Sometimes they're combinations with mudras, hand positions used as well. Sometimes they're just large positions you hold with, you hold with your body. Um, very, very common across the, the Chinese traditions. Now the idea is that essentially if the physical body is held in a certain position or released into a certain position, depending upon the qualities you're using, then the inside of the body can start to activate as a byproduct of this. So you'll find that all of the activating work is done during static exercises, all of the turning on of the Dantian, of the, the building of the Qi, the moving of the Qi through the system is, is almost, almost uniquely done in the static work. So movement on the inside, stillness on the outside. Yeah, so that's our first principle. That's why standing work is really important, you know. Like uh, sometimes people are confused why. It, it's very important for this because this is what turns on all of the insides. Our second quality would be the opposite. Let's do it the other way around. So movement on the outside, stillness on the inside. Okay, movement on the outside, stillness on the inside. This is Qigong. And this is the one that confuses people the most, right? So moving qigong exercises so it doesn't matter what they are we have a set called the jiben qigong as in foundation qigong exercises we use quite extensively other traditions might have something like the baduan jin or animal frolics or whatever it doesn't matter whatever set it is i'm sure you can find a moving set somewhere so often people will think that the moving exercises move your chi inside which is half true yeah kind of as a byproduct of your body moving the internal system will move in the same way that i would hope if your car drives three miles down the road your engine goes with it otherwise you've got problems so obviously the vehicle is going to carry something from the inside but there's definitely a lot less movement internally in comparison to the amount of movement that the outside body is 
making. That's definitely true with moving Qigong exercises. So essentially, with moving Qigong exercises, what you're normally doing is just kind of circulating what's already there, kind of pumping it through the body, the blood's moving, the limbs moving, stuff like that, uh, the nerves are being stimulated, so all the tingling sensations are coming, and maybe sometimes some of your yin and yang qi, whatever is inherently there, is going to pulse a little bit. So it's moving with the body, but it's still not moving to a huge degree. Not the same as when I stand still. Because when I stand still, it's almost like the differential between the stillness and the movement enables the dantian to fire up and, and certainly a lot more activity on the inside. So the stillness that they seek on the inside for moving Qigong exercises primarily is going to be your mind. It's going to be your awareness. It's going to be your uh, focus. It's going to be the interaction between your mind and your body. So almost universally, for traditional systems, when you're doing a moving exercise, your mind should either be stable into the body or stable into the Dantian. There are a few exceptions, but the majority of it's going to be something like that. There's going to be an object you're stable into. Okay, you're stabilizing with your mind. So the mind should be still. Therefore, the energy is pretty still. It's not stimulated in any way by the awareness. It's simply pumping a little bit just because of the movements you're doing. So it makes Qigong exercises quite weak for that activating process. The static work is a lot better. So an error for moving Qigong traditionally would be for the mind to be doing something at the same time as the body is doing something. So I wouldn't want to be doing a moving exercise, for example, whilst imagining a very complex uh, mental image or generating a color or trying to lead the chi somewhere or something like this. This wouldn't be correct because as soon as I'm trying to lead the chi with the mind or move it or, or create an image or, or something like this, I am now really adhering to a principle called movement in movement, which is not the same. We've now lost the key quality of Qigong that it's supposed to have stillness on the inside, movement on the outside. So if you can understand this differential, differentiation between these two, you can kind of see why static and moving exercises were used together. So within, uh, if I use the system I teach as an example, but other systems will work the same that I know, is what you'll have is a, a kind of alternating. So what you'll do is within a class or a practice session or whatever, normally you'll do moving exercise, static work, moving exercise, static work, moving exercise, static work. And what are you doing? You're alternating between standing still to activate the energy on the inside, so the internal movement is there, and then moving your body to kind of allow it to integrate into the system and maybe circulate things a little bit, but still the activation goes down and then you stand still again and then more activation, then you move again and you switch between these two states. So it reminds me almost like a hot air balloon, you know, when you stand still, you're putting fire and heat and that hot air balloon goes up and then when you do the moving exercise, it gradually starts to kind of um, lose altitude a little bit and then you stand still and the dantian fires up and then it goes up again. So you're getting this kind of peaks and troughs of, of activating the energy and circulating the energy. And it doesn't take long before you kind of get a feel for it yourself and you can govern the times. So beginners will always ask how long to stand versus how long to move. And you, you give them a time just to keep them happy. Usually here's a time, 20 minutes of that, 30 minutes of that, I don't know. And everyone gets pissed off with me because they ask me and, and I'll give them a different answer five times. And it's only because I can't remember the answer I gave them on the last four because it's not important to me because I know that if they just practice for a little while, they'll feel it for themselves anyway. You know, just like I would assume a hot air balloon pilot doesn't have to time 
I would hope not. I don't know anything about hot air balloon flying, but I hope they don't just time the fire to go up and down. I presume they know and they can see when the altitude is changing and there's a little bit of skill in there, I would assume. So it's the same with the standing and the moving exercises. So that's what's that. <laughs> that's movement inside stillness and that's stillness inside movement, yeah. Then the third part, fourth, uh, no, I can't count. I apologize because we have the foundations as well. The fourth part would be uh, movement in movement. Yeah, so double movement, maybe symbolized with two yang lines, two straight solid lines if they're using I Ching symbologies. So movement in movement, which really is what I call Dao Yin. But Dao Yin, uh, meaning to lead and guide, is a kind of overriding category that not every teacher will use. And even not every traditional system will use that phrase. They won't call it Dao Yin necessarily. But they will have an exercise that adheres, or a system of movements that adheres that principle, which is essentially a lot more physically demanding and opening and stretching movements. So sometimes they'll even still call them Qigong, but you can definitely distinguish between the types of movements. So softer, more gentle ones, like I was talking about before, or physically more demanding ones where you kind of stretch open the joints. Sometimes they call them um, 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 Taoist yoga. Sometimes you'll see it called that, which is obviously not a classical name. I think actually often it's a buzzword so that you get more Google searches, but it's, it's definitely a term that's been used by it, but I can see why, because of the stretching and opening. Uh, so these ones are more physically active on the outside, definitely. You are hyperextending things, you are elasticating things, you are sweating in an inappropriate fashion all over the place and the face is getting hot and yeah, it's hard work to do these kind of exercises. And often these were the kind of movements that were taken out of systems when they wanted to make them more medical for the elderly or people that have been sick. Because obviously if little Ethel, who's 89 years old, has been in hospital for a third bypass or whatever, wants to come out and kind of get her body moving, the last thing she needs is Dao Yin's. She doesn't want movement in movement because you're going to send Ethel to an early grave. So when they started to focus on systems for the elderly, they started to take these, these kind of things out, as they should do. So Dalian, a lot more movement on the outside, a lot more demanding. But curiously, especially if you've done the standing work, you have to have done the standing work first, really. Once you start doing Dalians, the inside of the body will move a huge amount as well, almost as much as it does when you stand still. Now, part of the reason for this, if we're being kind of crude with it, is because of just simply the overstress that you're putting in the body. So basically it's like the internal system kind of panics and kind of gets stressed and, and doesn't know what to do and fires up all the energy. So you, you're putting your body definitely into a very active active process with Dao meaning they can be quite tiring. So these kind of exercises will really purge the body and clear the body and they can move the Qi to a huge amount. So they're used within classical systems really to get that Qi from the Dantian that you've built in the standing work and push it into all of the channels. So I've not met many practitioners of Qigong who've managed to open a great deal of the channel system. And maybe there's a podcast there another time. Maybe that's not a bad episode. I think I'll do a podcast for you sometime, a discussion on what opening the channels means. Um, yeah, I, think, I don't think people are necessarily that clear on that. But I've not met a lot of Qigong practitioners that have very good and very open channels where the Qi has really built up and got into that channel system. Um, unless they've done Dao Yin's, unless their system has had Dao Yin's. It, that seems to be the kind of uh, distinguishing factor between whether they did or whether they didn't, because the soft, gentle Qigong doesn't tend to do it. Not really. It doesn't quite cut the mustard. It's not, 
it's not strong enough to do it, you know. So you need the standing work and then you need those Tao Yins. But then you also need the Qigong exercises to make sure things are smooth. Because I know systems that only do Tao Yin and those practitioners tend to end up very erratic, very fight or flight, very sort of kidney stressed and the nervous system is very fired up, you know. So it's imbalanced, it's too Yang. So this is how we harmonize those components. So to summarize, because I realize I'm waffling a great deal here. Part one, foundations. They should be clear. I should be able to see these are the principles that the system wants. Part two, uh, I can't even remember the order I did it on. Stillness on the outside, movement on the inside. That's standing Qigong to activate the energy system usually. Uh, next component um, is movement on the outside, stillness on the inside. So that would normally be gentle moving Qigong generally. A lot of what you see, if you type in Qigong on YouTube, um, that's what you'll see, isn't it? People in nice outfits with a nice background, tinkly tunes. That's normally those, those kind of exercises. Then the next part of it, I definitely can't count because this is part four, isn't it? It's movement on the outside, movement on the inside. So that's Tao Yin's more stressful movements, putting the body into a state of um, hyperactivation, really, a yang state. So if we look at the difference between Tao Yin's and Qigong to me, Qigong builds you up. Tao Yin's break you down. Yeah? But neither of those are necessarily that useful on their own. I think it's useful to have both. You know, it's equivalent of going to the gym. To the gym breaks you down, in my opinion. So it does break down tissue to replace them. Martial arts training, a lot of that breaks you down so that something is unable to change. Tissues break down, muscles take down, fibers change. But then you also have the rest period or the recuperation exercises or whatever, the, the health exercises that builds you up. And, and when the two of these work together, then what you get is a very quick change process within the body. If I equate that with martial arts, I've been to martial art classes that really break you down and don't do anything else. If I think of the 80s, when everybody wanted to be, uh, you know, bloody Jean-Claude Van Damme or whatever within the movies, it, it, there was just an obsession that you, it was like, blood and sweat was the way forward. And people even talk about it, don't they? The good old days when all we did was bleed and sweat. And then when you look at their bodies, they're fucked. Their joints are wrecked and they're covered and they're strapped up and they have to put on their fucking harness corset thing to hold their body together before they go into, into their martial art class or something. And they can't see that perhaps the state of their body was because all they did was breaking down all the time. And you can only break a body down so much before it breaks. And then that's it, you know. Whereas other systems, like sometimes overly soft Qigong, uh, sorry, Tai Chi, only focus on building up. So they're kind of trying to give energy and, and kind of this kind of nourishment of the body. But curiously, if you don't break the body down sometimes, if you're just kind of doing these nourishing exercises, after a while the body gets kind of stodgy. It's weird. You kind of get saggy and kind of a bit dough-like, so it doesn't really work either. So something has to break down and then something has to build up. And this is this kind of yin-yang, I hope I explained that okay, but this is this yin-yang balance that we're trying to get through our, through our training. And within Qigong, or Negong, this is often done with the difference between Tao Yin's and Qigong exercises. Tao Yin and Qigong exercises harmonize, build you up, break you down, to create a system that is very efficient with regards to your body and your energy. And then the final part, the final part would be stillness on the outside, stillness on the inside. Now, this is actually the hardest one to define because obviously we're talking usually about seated meditation. Seated meditation, like the most yin of all the practices. But as anyone who's gone into meditation knows, actually, some meditation can be quite active and some meditation can be quite 
um, demanding and some meditation can be quite tiring even though you're just sitting because meditation is a whole system on its own but if we generalize what they're implying is a static body which is usually sat down and then a static mind and a static quality on the inside usually seeking for some kind of stillness um, in order to develop the correct mental qualities for the system and generally what you find is they'll make sure it's sat rather than stood because the difference is when you stand generally standing still starts to activate things and as soon as I sit down open the hips root myself close to the earth then generally everything calms down a little bit and then that inner stillness that mental quality can can start to build so then we have stillness and stillness right and, and I won't go into that one too much because generally that's the final part of a system you might touch on it at the beginning but it's the kind of final one you really get to grips with I think still on the outside still on the inside is definitely <laughs> definitely the trickier one that you will get you'll, you'll master that last right but often the, the ability within that particular component, double stillness, true yin, will really depend on how well the foundation has been built in the others. And this has long been my opinion that there are meditation systems, obviously, to start with meditation. But I think for the majority of people, not all, some people can go straight to those, but for the majority of people who don't already have a naturally you know, monk-like tendencies or, or whatever, I think it's very useful to go through the other stages to learn how to activate the energy and move it and circulating and build that. And then this, the static work becomes a lot easier, definitely. So this final component rounds it out to give you stillness inside, stillness on the outside. And, and this really, to me then, is a complete system. So when I used to, uh, well, still do, travel and, and get an introduction to a teacher, because most of the stuff I've done is not, it's not like I've been able to go on the internet and type in, you know, wherever I'm going, Beijing, <laughs> Qigong classes, teachers learn, and then up comes my contact. I'm, I'm not able to do that because those kind of schools are great. They're, they're, they're good. They're really good for people to go get a basis in what they're doing. And, and for beginners, I think they're awesome. But uh, obviously, that's not really where the depth is. Generally, if you want to go really, really deep, it's definitely still in Asia. It works very much on introductions. Handshakes, introductions, letters of introduction. You're going to have to sacrifice several years, <laughs> probably more, to go meet this guy and then this guy and then this woman and then that's wrong and I don't know, and then there's politics and it's very complicated, but it takes a lot of time. So all of my obsessive hunting really has been trying to track down these different lines that I want to study within and, and teachers that I want to um, to help to get to help me really to understand these arts so I got to see quite a few a lot of different traditions and some of them I studied in some I didn't but if I were to break down really how you would distinguish between a complete system and an incomplete system that would be it that would be does it have those components if those components aren't there maybe presented in a slightly different format but if I can't categorize their work into those five categories it pretty much tells me that the system has been made incomplete for some reason and like I say, maybe specialism, maybe something got lost, maybe something got confused, I don't know. You know, it depends very much on the system, but this is how I would tell. So, a bit of a shorter one today, but uh, just, yeah, hopefully that will help. A little bit of an overview of it. And I have to go, because I have to uh, go and drive a few hours away to teach the first course I've done in ages. So, thanks very much.